welcome to the Faith Driven Investor Podcast. If you're a fund manager, investor, financial advisor, or business owner driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. This is a podcast brought to you by Faith Driven Investor. The best way to stay connected about new episodes and new content for Faith Driven Investors is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdriveninvestor.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. Please send us any thoughts that you have about how this podcast and our site might better serve you or any questions you might have about being a faith-driven investor. All opinions expressed on this podcast, including the team and guests, are solely their opinions. Host and guests may maintain positions in the companies and securities discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as specific investment advice for any individual or organization. You know, I say to people, if the money I have were really mine, who cares what I do with it? Maybe I do, maybe my wife does, but it's not mine, it's God's. And therefore, we have an unbelievably holy, if I can use that word, an awesome opportunity and responsibility to take good care of it. And as a money manager, I view it the same way. If I'm managing somebody's money, well, yeah, it's Joe Smith's money, but it's really God's money that Joe Smith happens to be a steward of at that particular point in time. Welcome back, everyone, to the Faith Driven Investor Podcast. We trust you've had a fantastic week. Today's guest, he's one that we've been excited about for a long time. Bob Dahl. Bob is a leader in the faith-driven investing movement from his work at Oppenheimer Funds, Merrill Lynch, BlackRock, and now Nuveen. You may have seen him on one of his frequent appearances on CNBC. And we were honored to have Bob join us last summer for the Faith-Driven Investing Gathering in Utah. His experience has yielded some hard-earned wisdom that we're excited to share with you today, right now. Okay, Bob, we're very grateful to have you on the show today. I hope we have time to cover as much of your journey as we possibly can, because I think it's a really powerful one. I know it's a really powerful one. I want to start with your time on Wall Street. Some of our audiences are retail investors and are going to be familiar with Merrill Lynch Asset Management and BlackRock and a lot of the places that you've been. But as we get started, walk us through your journey and maybe some of the size and scope of the funds that you've been involved with, because I think that probably most of our listeners have interacted with some of the products that you and your teams have created at some point in time along the way. Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me on. My professional journey, Henry, started when I graduated from business school in 1980. And since then, I've been on Wall Street. So next year will be year number 40. Hard to believe. Like many in this business, I started as an analyst, an equity research analyst, dissecting companies, figuring out what makes them tick, how do they make their money. I got a break a couple years in to be a junior portfolio manager, and that was my objective, to manage money. I've managed U.S. large cap equities all my career at Citicorp and then at the Oppenheimer Funds, where I did that, but also became CIO of equities, uh, chief investment officer for the whole firm, was recruited to Merrill Lynch Investment Managers in 1999, and a couple of years became CEO of that business. All along, continuing to manage money, that was my trade, always has been, Lord knows, but probably always will be. BlackRock bought Merrill Lynch Investment Managers uh, a half a dozen years in, and I worked there another half a dozen years. And now I'm at Nuveen, where I'm chief equity strategist and, guess what, a portfolio manager. So I spend time analyzing companies, creating portfolios, talking about markets, if you will, waving the flag for the firms I work for in the media and in the press more generally, 
Ed, you asked about scope. Again, all U.S. large cap, my team, my individual team, in our peak, we managed uh, $42 billion, but as CIO, I was responsible for over a trillion dollars of equity assets, and the firm BlackRock was the peak in assets of $4 trillion under management. So a, a fair number of dollars to slosh around and be a steward of uh, over those years. So it's, it's been a great ride. Oh, my goodness. That's, I, I knew that we were talking about Merrill Asset Management and some of these funds. I, I had not expected it was as big as that. A trillion dollars is a lot of money to be responsible for. Tell me, when a lot of our listeners think about Wall Street, or at least let me tell you how I used to think about Wall Street. My introduction to Wall Street came back from, I guess it was the late 80s, early 90s, and the movie Wall Street. And it was Michael Douglas and greed is good and greed cuts through and captures the American spirit. And of course, it was Bud Fox and the two phones. And and it wasn't necessarily a place that would be known for maybe family values. You've been a Christian on Wall Street for a long time. What are some lessons that you've learned from your time on Wall Street as a faith-driven employee, faith-driven leader, faith-driven manager, and a guy that's driven by his faith and yet has real responsibility to run lots of people's money? Absolutely fantastic. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think like everybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ, you know, there are issues that come up that are easy to deal with and some that are harder. I think one of the beautiful things that I've enjoyed is the different types of people that I run into. Other, you know, strong believers that I can learn from and fellowship with. Some people who are totally, and this would be the norm, totally apathetic to the things of God. Others respectful of the fact that somebody's a believer. And then, of course, you have those who, under certain circumstances, particularly when you bring it to work, quote-unquote, get a bit antagonistic. But as you point out watching the movie, yeah, there's greed. Like any business, there's greed, perhaps a bit more of it than the usual when you're dealing with money on Wall Street, but certainly manageable, and that's more the exception than the rule. At least that's been my uh, experience. What I also enjoy is money's a topic that can lead to all kinds of discussions about who God is and whose money is it in the first place. So that's been a fertile ground for learning and teaching, if you will. That's great. Bob, William here. I'm going to go a little off script here. I'm always fascinated. So I worked in investment banking and private equity most of my career. And I recently was talking to a younger person and they honestly felt like as a believer, they couldn't go into investment banking. That it was just a broken industry that had no redemptive value. I obviously don't believe that. And, and my question for you is, as someone who's been in this for 40 years, what is sort of your restorative, redemptive view of, of the financial markets? In your case, probably the public markets. What is that, that holy ambition that drives you to continue to work here and try to make it some part of bringing God's kingdom on earth? Yeah, so in money management or investment management more generally, a bit different from investment banking, of course, where it's, you know, one deal after the other. And not that investment management is not, but investment banking can be some intense, intense hours. I guess what I would say, this comes at various levels. You know, as I went through my career and realized that the money is not my money, it's not his money, it's not her money, it's all God's money. All of a sudden, the stewardship challenge just rises to an unbelievably phenomenal occasion. You know, I say to people, if the money I have were really mine, who cares what I do with it? Maybe I do. Maybe my wife does. But it's not mine. It's God's. And therefore, we have an unbelievably holy 
I can use that word, an awesome opportunity and responsibility to take good care of it. And as a money manager, I view it the same way. If I'm managing somebody's money, well, yeah, it's Joe Smith's money, but it's really God's money that Joe Smith happens to be a steward of at that particular point in time. So whether it's, you know, helping Joe give more money away, that's that's the most beautiful, but also for Joe to have a retirement for Joe to pay for his kids or grandkids' education. I mean, all of this is very motivational and I think a very high calling. Hmm. Amen. And as a money manager, we, we were able to have you out to an event we had, which our listeners might hear us reference. We hope to have more. We hope to have more widespread events. We had one out in Salt Lake City with a couple hundred people. And you challenged the table in kind of an exercise, all the different tables, to say, you know, what would it look like to create a fund that is faith-driven? And of course, that elicits a lot of different responses from people. But maybe as you've had, you know, months removed from there, and also something I just know you've been thinking about for probably decades, what does that mean to you? What does it come to mean to you to have a a fund or a, a money management philosophy driven by your faith? I first say that was an incredible event. In fact, I think I made the comment from the podium. Had you all tried to put something like that together 10, 15 years ago, it would have been a very small crowd. But the fact is so many people are thinking and doing around these things, which is great. I think the interesting part to the specific exercise is everybody had a different answer. I don't know that people's answers were contradictory to one another, but it just points out how faith-driven investing is in the early days. We may never get to a standard, just like there's no giving standard where it says that you and that Henry and I all have to give our money to the same place or have the same criteria, but it's the same principles, if you will. So when it comes to managing money, it's, you know, both what we're for and what we're against, and hopefully what we're for and what we're against is what God's for and what God's against. The against uh, things, you know, that's been going on for, for years, if not decades, and, you know, abortion, pornography, and then lots of other things get added depending on who you talk to. The more interesting and newer is, okay, what are we for? You know, the flourishing of humanity, the flourishing of the business that you're investing in, the flourishing of the employees. Of course, that means lots of different things as well. Education, alleviation of poverty. Is there good governance in this business? How do companies treat their employees? You know, there's a whole long list of things one can think about. And of course, once you come up with a list, to repeat, my list may be different from yours, but then it becomes an interesting exercise. Do you actually quantitatively score these things, or is it a qualitative review? The same token, you're not going to ignore kind of the principles that got you there. I'm not going to want to buy a company that has great governance, but the earnings are going straight down the tubes. Sure, <laughs> and, sure. and I'm not want to going to buy one that treats their employees really well if the stock is selling at ridiculous valuation. So it's a combination, can I say, of the sacred and secular things that we've all learned to appreciate. No, that's I appreciate good. you saying that. I also appreciate the plug for the event. It was awesome having you there. Maybe close to 200 people showed up because you were a headliner. That's a, <laughs> I don't think so. I think it was your name, Henry, that got them there. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's not the case. But one of the things that I think really is a great thing to underscore, and that is in this larger movement of faith-driven investing, there are going to be lots of different answers for how people might 
feel that they're hearing from God or learning from him in his word about how to deploy investment assets. And that's one of the things I think that we did agree on, which is how important the heart posture is. And that as we get down on our knees with our spouses and ask God that he might lead us in the direction that we might steward assets, uh, we're going to come away from it and we're going to have a different perspective than we had before that exercise about where we would invest. And yet some people might say, gosh, we really feel compelled to invest in solar farms in the Nevada desert. And somebody else might say, I want to invest in publicly traded companies that are run by Christ followers. And somebody else might say, I want to do resident multifamily real estate with resident chaplains. And so there are no pat answers or a prescriptive way to go about asset classes, but it's the heart posture. And I love what you just said there, which is what are the things that God is for and what are the things that he is against? Let that be our guide. And because he doesn't give you specificity, then what that ends up meaning, it actually draws you, I think, closer to him and trying to know him to understand what does that mean and what does that mean for you? Totally agree. That's a great way to put it. And uh, again, as I said, many of us have been on that journey in terms of where we give our money. Mm -hmm. And it's the same process. It's just newer for most people as to where we're going to invest our money. It's the same sort of principles and characteristics. And God and his word are the guide for both avenues. And just the one is newer to most people than the other. And as you hinted, it's not an event. You don't get down on your knees and get up after you've prayed and have the answer. It's a journey over time as God matures us and puts us in directions and we interact with other people like we're doing on this call uh, that informs us and takes us in directions that uh, is very exciting. Oh, that's interesting. So when you talk about the for and against, I do think against is very easy for a lot of people. I think you're right. There's a little controversy. For gets a little more tricky. I love the way you laid that out is we're not all going to be for the same things. God and his spirit manifest itself in different ways through each of us. And that's what builds a beautiful world. One of the things I would love, and it can be a particular company, obviously you can hide what company it is too, but I'd love for you to walk us through maybe your analysis on a company and kind of what, in your opinion, makes maybe something that was a little bit in the gray area or something that's a little hard to think through that you really took some time with and said, you know, at the end of the day, this was complicated, but I do think it's something God's for. And here's sort of the criteria I walked through to come to that conclusion. Yeah, so I start with kind of what got me here before I even debated these things with myself and with other people. That is, the company has to be a good company that makes money Then I can see they're going to continue to do that. and They have some sort of growth rate and they're selling at some reasonable valuation. And all that stuff, believe it or not, is hinted at in God's word. But the issues that God really cares about, and we put it well, are the heart issues. So once we pass those, can I say, secular tests, then it gets a whole lot more interesting. One I've spent a lot of time on that's controversial is the relationship between how the executives get paid and how the rank and file get paid, and also the amounts. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm not crazy about a company where, I'm going to exaggerate, where the CEO makes 100,000 times what the average employee does. I'm not sure that that's working in God's principles of sharing. Not that the CEO can't be or shouldn't be one of the highest, if not the highest paid employee. That's absolutely fine. God doesn't say everybody gets the same number of dollars per hour, as it were. But what should that relationship look like? 
And we've spent a lot of time deliberating about that. So I'm talking about both the quality and the quantity. And therein lies a lot of gray space. And I've had discussions with other, I think, well-meaning Christians, and we come to different conclusions on that. And that's the richness of the dialogue that we've talked about here. And, you know, when I have a dialogue, I learn something, and perhaps my views change over time. But that's been an issue across a lot of companies that we've spent time on that's uh, very difficult and a lot of gray. Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit and go to some of the developments that we've seen in the public equity space, which is a space that you know, of course, best, although you, of course, are very fluent with other asset classes too, like real estate. But on, on the public equity side, there have been some things that we've seen that have been encouraging. And of course, at the event, we had Christine Rico, who's also been on the podcast, talking about the emergence of faith-driven employee resource groups at some of the largest publicly traded companies. And of course, we know about corporate chaplaincy ministries like Corporate Chaplains of America and Marketplace Chaplains. As you see the shareholder conversations happening at the highest level where people are caring more and more about the environment and other stakeholders, do you see that being more focused just on the environment or just on equal pay for women, which is awesome, to be clear. This isn't a comment about that. But do you see a shift or an opportunity for publicly traded companies to offer spiritual mentoring and counseling to their employees? Or is that just a fringe thing? Do you think it'll work? Any comments you have at all about that, knowing that so many of these large cap publicly traded companies that you invest in have so many different employees and faith is starting to become more and more of a conversation in some of the technology companies out here in Silicon Valley, where at Apple, Google, and Facebook, they now have faith-driven employee resource groups. Is that just a niche thing just in Silicon Valley technology? Or do you see an opportunity for that to be more pervasive through all of the large cap public stocks? Thankfully, it is growing in lots of ways in lots of places. I'd say two sets of comments. One, generally, as you point out and you name some specific companies in Silicon Valley, there are a lot of companies that, you know, not too many years ago would have maybe tolerated you all come together for a faith-based discussion, a Bible study, wherever the issue is, as long as you do it kind of off in the corner and way before uh, most people show up for work or whatever, you've got to do it off-premises. That line of thinking is changing. I think people are recognizing, and perhaps it's through more and more companies having a corporate chaplain or something like that, they're recognizing that those kinds of things increase the productivity, the the positive view of the company, and they're all self-reinforcing. So even from a secular standpoint, people are coming to the view that we've got to do more of this sort of thing. And isn't that great? Because uh, God smiles even when it's a, a secular way of getting there. The more specific is because I'm more familiar with it in the financial services industry, how so many of the financial service firms are recognizing that there is a strata of the public who are Christian and they want to understand what Christian investment principles might be. So could you give me a Christian financial advisor, please? And now these firms are having groups and trade associations from their own employees that fit this bill. Uh, Kingdom Advisors, you both know that organization, works in that venue and helps employees come together and approach their senior management to get some of these things done. So this is all going in my opinion, in a good and accelerating direction. And this is good news. 
It is. It is. So a little further afield from what you may know best, but to the extent that you have any comments or thoughts on other asset classes or other things as Christ followers look to steward their capital, aside from what's going on in the public equities, is there anything that compels you, anything in your travels that you've seen about ways that Christians are stewarding investment capital in a way that advances the kingdom? Yeah, I think there are more and more organizations, more and more investment vehicles that focus in their action. Some of the good work that you guys are doing and your offerings, for an example, there are more and more investments you can make where there might be some financial reward, but also a reward that comes from the fact that somebody's going to flourish. It may reduce the return, but that's stated right up front. And some are putting it all together and say, no, we got to move forward. I was just talking to a guy yesterday who's uh, in the process of making Christian films for young people and trying to get them on media that young people are watching. I mean, I'm talking about kids to compete with some of the can I say garbage stuff that these kids might be watching? So there are lots of great things that are happening as more and more people are waking up to the fact. It all starts with the faith and work movement that says, you know, our Sunday is not different from our Monday. It's in an integrated life. And if we approach things that way, it's going to be very natural we pursue these paths. Yes. One other question related to that is do you see a time? And I'm, I'm wrestling with this myself, but do you see a time where there might be a product that might be created where an investor might choose to invest in a fund, whether it's an open-ended fund or a unit investment trust or a closed-end fund that just invest in faith-driven CEOs? Or is that potentially a problem and becomes a holy huddle and kind of separates out the financial markets and is a product that may be well-conceived or the heart's right, but it just ends up it just doesn't go over well. Any any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. I think uh, let's take the ETF world. I mean, there are a zillion ETFs. There are more ETFs now than there are uh, securities on the exchange. So it's only a matter of time. Maybe one already exists and we just don't know about it, Henry. Uh, it does just what you're saying. Here's an ETF you can buy and the holdings are just fill in the blank. CEO's, you know, a believer. The CEO is a public believer, whatever descriptive words. Oh, absolutely. I think we'll get a lot of those sorts of things and uh, it'll be fun to get track records on these things to see, you know, where are we getting positive signals that make a difference? So I think that that leads into another point, of course, which is the concept of excellence. And so what guidance would you give a listener to this who's saying, okay, so I want to be more intentional about how I allocate my investment assets according to my faith. How do they look to do so with excellence? Yeah. So I don't think you abandon, I called it a few minutes ago, kind of the secular investment techniques that you would use. For example, in public equities, it's what's the company selling for, what's its valuation, and what's its growth rate to keep things simpler. I don't think you say, oh, well, that's not you know in the Psalms, therefore I'm not going to pay any attention to that. You still use the mind that God gave us on this planet to do those things. But then you layer on top of that, who are doing good things? I'll use the very broad phrase, human flourishing. What yeah. companies are doing that? You know, I think most of us, over time are going to say, if I can make the most money 
by investing in a company where they, you know, they kill their worst 5% of their employees every year. You know, I'm not going to invest in that because God's not going to smile on me, and that's not honoring who he is. So there will be trade-offs to be made, and therein lies the excitement and I think the adventure that God's putting us on. Yeah. When you talk about track record, it makes me also think about how important it is that we endeavor to understand the backgrounds of our portfolio managers. All too often, people think of Christian music as being not as good as the secular counterpart. I think our hope collectively of this movement is that the funds that are run, the exchange-traded funds, et cetera, will be run with excellence, with great auditing, with great reporting, with fund managers that have got great track records. And so as you speak to track records and Morningstar ratings, I think that it's really important that a Christ follower does their diligence, lest otherwise this be a movement that's characterized by mediocrity with just different products that are created, but they're not done with excellence. And I think that that's what you speak to also with track records. So agree. You said it better than I could, Henry. There's just no way that this becomes second class. There's no way that this becomes something off in the corner that has a lower standard. The standards are high because you know what? We are made in the image of God. God is a worker. Last I checked, his work is A+. Therefore, we as believers, whatever field we're in, need to be A-plus workers too. So we strive the best for his glory and for the clients and customers we're going to be serving. Amen. Amen. That's a great place, Bob. As we move to the close, we always like to bring our listeners into where God has you in your story right now. And it's always amazing to hear how that intersects with some of our listeners and our guests. And so specifically, when you think about God's word and the scriptures, we'd love if you wouldn't mind inviting us in where God maybe has you, something he might be telling you in a new and a fresh way. It could be today, could be the season that you're in, maybe a passage you've been meditating on, or just something that's always been a guiding principle for you. So you prepared me for this, so I did give it some thought, and it didn't take much thought because it hit me across the head as what I'm about to tell you is hitting me across the head. I've known all along God cares for the poor, but God really cares for the poor. Mm. And I think in my reading of the Word, in my prayer life, in people I've come in contact with, in the last couple of months, God has been so present on that particular point. Feeding the poor in spirit, feeding the poor uh, materially, and as a result, among other things, uh, my wife Leslie and I, we are significantly increasing the percentage of our philanthropy that goes to the poor. We've always done it, but it's not been, in my opinion, having been hit over the head, a big enough percentage given how much uh, importance God places on that. We, as many people do, um, we on Thanksgiving, our family went to a, a center city mission in Philadelphia and served the homeless a Thanksgiving meal. And, you know, yet one more time, they are God's people. He died for those very same people. Uh, and so I'm impressed with that part of who God is we got to care for the poor. So I love that illustration, but I've got to ask a phenomenal investor that really feels that God has a heart for the poor and wants us to care for the poor, of course, as well. Where does a really good investor invest in the poor? Is there a ministry or two that are particularly compelling to you by virtue of the excellence of the work they do and being able to serve and equip the poor that you have come behind that maybe some of our listeners need to know about? 
Yes, there are a lot of missions that do that in lots of different places. The Bowery in New York City is one of the biggest and one of the leading. The one we talked about for Thanksgiving, a Sunday breakfast mission in Philadelphia, it's the only mission in the country, I'm told, that serves 365 days, three meals a day to the homeless. So kind of cool. Very, very Very cool. cool. Excellent. Bob, thank you very much for spending time with us. You've been a great encouragement to us at the event that we had in our calls and everything that we've done all along the way consistently Amen. in our sales. And we thank you for your time. And I know that that's a big deal for you. So thank you. My privilege to serve with you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. We're very, very grateful for the opportunity to serve the larger faith-driven investor community. Hey, the best way for you to stay connected is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdriveninvestor.org. And while you're there, we of course want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you, and it's been very rewarding to see people join the discussion now from all around the world. But it's also very important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your journey, one that you're proud of and one that you'll share with others. This podcast, it wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer, Justin Foreman, program director, Johnny Wills, music by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdregs.com and audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. Mm-hmm.